0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20, and let's stand together for our Scripture reading time. Acts, chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 17. I do hope that you will be in prayer for this Sunday's offering. Uh, Lancaster Baptist Church historically has just been really blessed of the Lord with these offerings. Uh, when we finish the uh, kids' City Building, we will finish our 86th million dollar offering uh of building programs uh in this uh 35 years of ministry that we've had uh it's truly a modern day miracle and we give God the glory for it but we recognize with every one of these special offerings that we need God's hand upon it and we need the holy spirit to touch people's hearts so uh I truly appreciate those of you that are praying maybe in the dorms and different places uh that God would just bless and help uh and encourage uh, our membership as we give and uh, then uh, let me just remind you, as we look ahead to next week, uh, we have scheduled an emphasis on church planting. And uh, we are bringing in, I, I just think, some fantastic church planters coming in. Uh, we're bringing in uh, the representative and the founder of a ministry called Jehovah Jireh Ministries. And uh, you'll enjoy hearing from Brother Bossy. He's up in years, about a gentleman that has uh, taken his entire Uh, life's work financially and placed it into a foundation uh, to help church planters and especially on their first purchase of a building and so forth and you'll enjoy hearing that. Uh, Independent Baptists do not have a hierarchical uh, bureaucratic system where every church gives money to the system. Uh, Independent Baptists support the missionaries and the church planters individually and yet we do have some resources, some partners that that really do want to help through the churches and through uh, some some of these uh, opportunities that you'll hear about next week. And so whether you start a church right after college, whether you're a part of a team that's starting a church, whether you're just supporting church planners someday, uh, you'll enjoy next week, I truly believe. And with that in mind, I wanted to bring a message this morning on the subject of the basic of the local New Testament church. And uh, this is somewhat of a, of a basic message, uh, but I, I really truly believe that Uh, if you'll be straight on the subject of uh, the Word of God being preserved if you'll be straight on the subject of being a Baptist and if you'll be straight on the origin uh, and biblical polity of the New Testament church you'll go a long way for Jesus Christ you got to be right on the Bible you've got to be uh, understanding what a Baptist is and what a church is these are basic things that we want you to learn While you're in college and so uh, Acts 20 is our text this morning and we're going to be reading Beginning in verse 17 if you'll follow with me please And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church And when they were come to him he said unto them Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia After what manner I have been with you at all seasons Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, I go bound in the, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. For I know this: that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now, some of you that are called to preach need to pay attention to these verses. Paul's describing the ministry here. And he's telling them there's going to be attacks from without and attacks from within. Verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let us pray. Father, as we study the subject of the New Testament church and perhaps more in a topical fashion this morning, I ask that you would help us to understand the topic of the church. Help us to recognize that you love the church and gave yourself for it. Help us to have that same spirit and attitude. And I pray for those men who were called to church planting and preaching just a few days ago, and the many hundreds of others in this room, that all of us would have a heart for the local New Testament church, for the propagation of the gospel through your church. And so teach us this morning, and this time I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oftentimes I study churches and I study their newsletters, their buildings, their trends, their stands. I, I love to study the work of the Lord in churches. My heart is often grieved when I see churches that are veering to the left or compromising truth or uh, when I see people that are lackadaisical in their approach to the New Testament church. It's a grievous thing to me when Bible college students may get an attitude of, well, we have to go to church, or even faculty members when church is some kind of an impediment to them rather than the central source of encouragement in their life, which is what God intends the church to be. Uh, We ought never to allow church to be something that we just kind of ho-hum go through. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, there is no doubt that the church has been under attack since the moment of its inception. I believe the church began in its formative stages with the calling of the disciples on the shores of Galilee. I believe that Jesus Christ called these men unto himself. He called them out from the world, and he called them to follow him. I believe uh, this is very important to understand, as we know that the Great Commission, which was given in Matthew 28, Was given to the church before the day of Pentecost. I do believe on the day of Pentecost, the church was empowered with the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, without that indwelling presence, there would never have been the spreading of the powerful message of the gospel throughout the Mediterranean region uh, or throughout the world for that matter. So the Lord established his church, and the Holy Spirit empowered the church. The church is not man's idea. It's God's idea. The church is not something that we look upon as uh, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. Uh, The church uh, is given to us, necessitated for us by the scriptures and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know the church is under attack. Uh, we see many churches today, and I've seen some Baptist churches uh, that have been affected even in recent days with what we might call woke theology, where... They're feeling the pressure of the culture. And rather than clearly standing against the, the false teachings of feminism or the false teachings of the homosexual movement, we we see virtue signaling from pulpits toward these movements. And sometimes we see mainline denominations in particular that are even hiring individuals who are living lives of sin or espousing lives of sin. Uh, we see that they're Uh, is an attempt to go beyond condemning racism and sometimes to just embrace ideology that is against the Word of God, such as uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which on their website denounces uh, the family unit. They are enemies of what they call the nuclear family. On their website, they say, we affirm the queer nation. And the the problem with preachers uh, uh, embracing Black Lives Matter is not Uh, the fact that they're simply trying to embrace a people group. We should love all people. Uh, Jesus Christ commands us to do so. But in in affirming BLM, they are affirming doctrines that are satanic and opposed to the Word of God. And with their virtue signaling, they are weakening the New Testament church. We have seen this to be the case with respect to those that are virtue signaling toward the homosexual movement, and many times uh, we've been saddened to see groups such as the American Baptist Convention and the United Methodist Church that actually have ordained such individuals into the so-called gospel ministry, and when they lay their hands on these men who unrepentantly live in sin, they are blaspheming the very Word of God, and they are weakening the church and creating... uh, a nothing but a laughing stock for the church. And so we see that there are uh, many things to be said in the way of the erosion of churches that once preached a clear, sound message uh, for the citizens of that particular city. Now, we could go on and on with the attacks on the church. You could historically go back to the Dark Ages when the Roman church uh, not only killed so many thousands of Baptists, but also burned Bibles in the city squares and did all they could uh, to somehow uh, extinguish the local New Testament church. And I want you to understand today that by the time many of you reach age 40, you will see churches that you've attended or visited or seen out sometime in the summer that radically change and sometimes close. And, uh, and, and you need to determine that you will never be a part of bringing about an unscriptural change to a local New Testament church. Remember years ago, we had a young man that graduated from our college, and he got into some uh, liberal thinking and got onto some wacky websites, and, and rather than talking to men that had loved him and trained him and to his own home pastor, he just went off on a tangent and Uh, I had recommended him to a local New Testament Bible-believing church. These people were Baptists. They were little old ladies that gave money and men that had helped build the building. And they believed that the Bible uh, was preserved in the King James Version. They believed in the fundamental doctrines. They were Baptists. They had a DNA, you might say, at this church. And the young man called me and he said, I just think it might be better if we're maybe not Baptist and if maybe we used several different Bibles and maybe we did maybe had a rock and roll band. And, and uh, he said, what do you think about that? I said, I think you should resign that church. I said, you were recommended to those people and you said to those people that you believed in their doctrinal statement, and that you were a Baptist, and that you would uphold the 62-year tradition of that church, and God did not lead you into that church to lead those people away from their heritage, their goodly, godly heritage. God led you there maybe to be innovative, maybe to use some new ideas, but not to change the founding principles of the church. I said, look it, I love you. If you want to go start a new church and and have purple hair, whatever, I don't care. Uh, Do what you want to do, but but listen, uh, we need to be true and faithful to the Word of God, and we need to have enough integrity that we would not go somewhere with the idea of changing it uh, radically away from the very Word of God. And you're going to see these things happen from time to time. And I'm not one that preaches against using a new method or a new idea. I want to be gracious towards people that are not maybe exactly where I am on every little thing. But let me tell you something. Uh, we have established West Coast Baptist College, so, not so that you would go out from here and weaken a church, but that you would go out and strengthen churches by the grace of God. And that's why we have the church planning conference. Uh, we don't need another rock and roll church on the corner that's m- uh, mostly emotion and very little expository scriptures and uh, very little soul winning and, and most of these churches have no soul winning. We, we, we see plenty of that. What we need today is a revival of Bible preaching and, and aggressive soul winning and uh, bringing people to the Savior. And I want to speak to you about this today, the context of the church. Now there's a couple things I want you to understand by way of introduction as we think about the church. Number one, Jesus Christ owns the church. Jesus Christ owns the church. You know the church is not this building. If you're with me on that, say amen. amen. It's the people. Acts twenty twenty-eight. notice what it says. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and over unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now why am I so adamant that it is not up to me to change everything in the church to to give virtue signaling to to go woke to uh, to get into the mindset of of trying to uh, rearrange uh, the history of a church for example as long as it's a biblical history why do we want to stay true to our heritage why am I adamant about this simply because the church is not my church it's his church whatever happened to being sensitive to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us the book of Acts, so that we can see here what is a New Testament church. I remember years ago being invited to a conference called Innovate, and I've attended very, very few. In fact, I've, I've attended zero conferences in my lifetime that were sponsored by organizations uh, whose doctrine did not align with the doctrine of this church. I've, I've read some books, I'm aware of some trends. But I've tried to be true to the teachings of the Word of God and those going all the way back to my childhood. And, and, and I remember this particular brochure that came across, and it was a church called uh, re, it was a conference rather called "Reinventing Church. Reinventing Church." And I read the brochure. Fellas, let me tell you something. God has not called us to reinvent His church. He has called us to build upon His word and do His work His way. You don't need to reinvent what Jesus invented. You don't need to realign, and and, uh, and and so oftentimes we'll see men that will hit a certain phase in their ministry, and suddenly men that I've known they're they're very very different. And I want to challenge you, men, to put your hand to the plow and never look back. And especially in this area of trying to change something that isn't yours to change, the church, the local church, is the property of. Purchase possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We do some fun things. We'll do some fun things at youth conference. I'm not against having fun. But listen, church isn't always about the next party and the next gig and the the best vibe. Listen, it is an assembly of believers. It is a holy assembly purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're any kind of a man of God, you're going to care who preaches. You're going to care what they preach. You're going to care how it's preached. You're going to care that the place is kept right. Uh, you're going to care that the music is giving a very certain sound because the church is not yours. It is the church of the living God. Jesus owns the church. Secondly, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2 and 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, It's amazing to me periodically someone will say, here, listen to this new Christian song. And you cannot tell if they're singing about their boyfriend or about Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to be a part of a church where Jesus is high and lifted up. He's the cornerstone, the doctrinal cornerstone, uh, the salvific cornerstone. Without him, we are nothing. Thirdly, we must remember in this day that Jesus will protect his church. You say, well, Pastor Chapel, are you paranoid about churches changing? You think churches are going to go extinct? The Bible says in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I do not know that the early days of COVID were not a dry run for days when we're going to have to be more innovative and perhaps days when churches meet outside or perhaps meet as they do in China in some kind of condominiums or uh, hidden in some apartments. I do not know uh, if times will change from that standpoint, but I know this, Satan will never extinguish the church of the living God. Jesus has promised that he will build his church. He's building it right now, today, and how we thank the Lord for it. I was talking with Pastor Tim Rasmussen yesterday, and we were talking about soul winning. He was sharing with me a a story of a lady he'd led to the Lord. And we were just rejoicing in the fact that even in this difficult time, there are still people that the Spirit of God is witnessing to. And, And we were both saying as pastors, we don't want to miss those opportunities to talk to those people and bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to be a part of the building of the church in 2022. And so let's dive into this today, if you want to take some notes, I want you to notice several important aspects of the church as you prepare for the church planning conference coming right around the corner. Number one, I want you to notice with me the meaning of the word church. Very basic. You've heard it before. But notice in verse 17, Paul says, from Miletus, he sent, unto, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And uh, uh, these, uh, uh, these uh, co- were coastal uh, cities, uh, Ephesus, a major city, Miletus, a minor city. Uh, but Miletus was a decent-sized city. They had a large uh, coliseum where they played uh, what we might consider sort of like the Olympic Games, and, and Paul was calling the pastors to come and meet him. I'd have to look exactly on the map. I'd say less than 100 miles, maybe maybe even 40 or 50 miles. He wanted to meet the elders, meaning the pastors of the church. And the word church, as we've heard before, uh, speaks of the called-out assembly, And uh, as you study the word church in the New Testament, you're going to find that at least 100 of the 117 mentions of the word in the New Testament always refer to a local assembly. They're talking about the church at, the church at, the church at. Uh, You'll find in your ministry, men, that there will be people who say, well, I worship God on my boat at Yosemite. I worship God at the beach. I just worship God wherever I want to worship. Now, we we can do that individually, but we are commanded corporately to assemble together in these called-out assemblies. And if you don't believe in the necessity of the called-out assembly, then you're off to a bad start in your ministry because that's what your ministry is all about, preaching and teaching in the assembly. Acts 2.41, then they that gladly received His word were baptized, And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What were they added unto? Well, they had that small number that Jesus had called. They had that group in the upper room. And now God is adding to the number. You say, well, did they have computers? And did they have programs where they kept membership and all that? I understand it was not as technically developed, but I do believe that people were added to the number. They were known as Christians at Antioch. They were known as the people of the way. They were people who were identifying with Uh, the assembly in their local area, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, under the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, under the church at Corinth, Galatians 1, 2, under the churches of Galatia, Revelation 1, 4, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Most of your New Testament is written to the church. The local church should have priority in our life. Let me say this very lovingly. It should always have more priority in your life than any parachurch organization. I love the fact that West Coast Baptist College is under the umbrella of God's institution, the local New Testament church. And I want you to get this in your mind. There are some conservative-minded parachurch groups. They come to the college. They want you to work for them in the summer. Some of that is a good experience. But let me tell you something. I have no use for a camp worker that doesn't get to God's house on Sunday morning. Were it not for churches like this one sending kids to camp, there would be no parachurch ministry. And you need to get that in your mind. The church, the local New Testament church, uh, that is, save baptized believers, that is with a God called pastor, that is with God called officers such as pastors and deacons. Uh, the local church, that is with a biblical doctrinal statement, is God's institution for reaching and training the world. And we must never treat it like it's second class. We must always put it as a priority in our lives and so uh the church uh is god's institution now i want you to think with me about this church and we see what it means it's a called out assembly but what else specifically does the church do? Let me give you several quick things here. First of all, the church must gather. We've already spoken of that. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, so much the, uh, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, listen to that. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's say that together. And so much the Now, I know sometimes people get tired, people have different schedules, I'm not going to make a test of fellowship over how many times someone has church, but can I just say what the Bible says so much the more as you see the day approaching? I've already mentioned to you things like BLM and the gay movement. We could go on and on with so many things that people are facing, the broken family today. It's such a tragedy. We could go on and on with the social upheaval and social destruction, the, the, the discouragement that people face. Listen, people don't need less and less of God's Word. They need more and more of God's Word. And many of the modern churches today are having one service, one. One service that's mostly music, maybe a little bit of Bible interspersed, and people are starving and people need help. And I was thinking, as you were, Brother Getch, about the song we sang a moment ago, uh, how how the, uh, the, the author of the song talked about how Jesus is helping us and keeping us and saving us. And my heart was being blessed by that because we need God's help today. As a pastor, I need God's help, and our members need God's help. And so God intends for the church to gather and don't ever be ashamed of having Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night church don't ever be ashamed of having revivals you're you're going to find that many of these churches that are into the entertainment mode never have a revival meeting i happen to believe god's people need times like that i don't care how tired we are i don't care how busy we are i happen to believe sometimes you need to hear preaching three nights in a row I happen to believe teenagers need preaching. I happen to believe that children need preaching. We need to gather together. Secondly, uh, we must be established scripturally in these churches. Now, many verses could be given here, of course, but Acts 15, 41 says, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, I love this, confirming the churches. Confirming the churches. Church is where people are confirmed in their faith. Now sometimes we witness to people who are of the Catholic background and they'll say, I had confirmation or Lutherans I had confirmation when I was 12 and uh, and, and in the Lutheran confirmation they may learn some some doctrines and such sadly though many times they think that's getting saved is saying those verses and salvation is not saying verses and the Catholic confirmation many times has nothing to do with scripture when the Bible uses the word confirming it speaks of confirming people in the doctrines of Christ and this is what the church is all about and I dare say that the average Christian today could not tell someone scripturally why they are eternally secure. They could not scripturally show someone why the Word of God is, is inspired. They could not scripturally show someone why there is a pre-tribulational rapture or whatever doctrine you want to mention. Listen, church is more than a good vibe and a nice architecture and a nice website. If your people are not being grounded in their faith, Colossians 2, rooted and grounded in Christ, then you need to check that out. You know, I was talking the other day to our principal and we were discussing the subject of the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview and the importance of it. And I told them that as we have some folks coming in to do assessment of our teachers and to do some assessment of our program, that I wanted to have a measuring assessment whereby we can test our students in the 12th grade with respect to their worldview. Do they have a solid biblical worldview? Can they defend that view scripturally? And I believe in a Christian school or college environment, these are very fair tests and measurements to make. But you know, in the church we should be as much concerned also that people are being rooted and grounded in Christ. It's so vitally important. Paul said in Ephesians 4.12 that God gave some pastors and evangelists and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So we must gather, we must establish people. Thirdly, we must encourage people. We must encourage people, turn in your Bibles to Acts 2, if you would, verse 41, Acts 2, 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. You know, I think about this. We call it the body life. Sometimes we experience this in our connection groups, which are basically Sunday school classes. And, um, and by the way, it doesn't matter if you call them Sunday school class, connection group. It just matters that you're getting together with God's people. And, and here we see that as they got together, the Bible says, they were steadfast, verse 42, in the apostles' what? Doctrine. Come on, talk to me. In the apostles' Doctrine. but then notice the next one, and fellowship, and fellowship. I was reading the other day in Proverbs chapter 3 and the Bible calls us to to love mercy and truth. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. And the local church it was founded on truth, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, but there were times of mercy and fellowship and coming together Uh, The church is not always just about pronouncement. Sometimes the church is about fellowship and being encouraged in the work of the Lord. And it's so vitally important that we encourage God's people. You know, I think about sometimes as I stand out here at the uh, West Wing lobby, and some of you run by, and I'll give you a thumbs up or hello, and you're always welcome to stop if you like and say howdy. But a lot of times I think of what I do right there for about 30, 40 minutes after every service. And and almost every service, I pray with someone who has cancer, someone who has surgery coming up. Almost every service, a single mom will bring one of her children by and maybe tell me about his report card or something. Almost every service. Almost every service, as I stand back there, there's someone that needs encouragement. They they need that moment. They need, perhaps, to have a word of prayer. And, And... Don't ever underestimate that the church is God's body and that we are his feet, his hands, his mouth, his eyes, his ears. Don't ever underestimate the fact that the church is a place where God's people need nurture and encouragement and be sensitive to that. They're they're not coming to watch us entertain them. They're coming to hear the Word of God and to be encouraged as a believer. This is a place to gather. This is a place to establish people. This is a place to encourage people. Let me give you one other letter D here. This is a place to warn people. Now, we're not preaching expositorily necessarily this morning, but did you notice in the passage that there would be some from within and some from without that would try to disrupt the church. Matthew eighteen seventeen says, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen and as a publican. Sometimes there are people that need to be warned about their sinful way, about their pride, about their drunkenness, about their immorality. God establishes the church not in a legalistic, pharisaical way, but you listen to me. There will come a time, in when there may be someone up in your choir who gives $60,000 a year in tithes, and he thinks that he can take the pianist out, and maybe they can get out somewhere and act uh, ungodly or wickedly. You are not a church if you don't confront that man. And if you study Matthew 18, there's a very clear pattern for how this happens. The person that maybe observes this as a brother goes to this person and says, Listen, that is wrong. What you said is wrong. What you did is wrong. And I I want you to come back to church and make it right and repent. If they don't hear that one man, then you take two and you go to them and you say, look, we're coming to you in the name of Jesus and as a part of the body. We love you. We're not here to condemn you. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, considering yourself also lest you also become tempted. And when that doesn't happen, sometimes it has to be brought before the entire church and someone has to be dismissed from membership because they are willingly living in some type of open sin. God wants his church to take seriously his word. And uh, oftentimes over the years, I'd say a few times every year, we'll have to have a situation where two of our deacons go to someone And a lot of times that person will leave town, they'll even leave state before it becomes a church matter publicly. But we do our best to exercise as a church when there's known sin taking place. Listen, this is not the Elks Club. This is not the Lions Club. Listen, you can be an executive at Lockheed. You can have five girlfriends if you want to. You can come in drunk if you want to. You could be involved in local politics and do some of those same same things. But this is the church of the living God where people must be warned If they're living in sin. And you mark my words, a lot of these hotsy totsy young preachers that talk about their interpretation of grace and they're jumping around uh, on Sunday morning and doing their thing, many times, many times, there's sin in the ranks. And I've seen sin with those that dress in suits and sing hymns too. But I'm just telling you uh, that oftentimes today we're hearing about grace, and I've had people tell me, uh, I've, I've experienced firsthand. Uh, Even some young people that came to our college, got involved in sin, still in a life of sin, playing the piano at some church in L.A. because they understand grace. That is not grace. It is unscriptural to have somebody living in immorality playing your piano or singing in your choir or preaching in your pulpit. The church is not a—that is not grace. Uh, That is lasciviousness. That is something that is given over to antinomianism or against the law of the Word of God. And if you're looking for a place to be comfortable in your sin, there's lots of churches like that. But a true New Testament church is not going to allow sin to be flaunted amongst the congregation. They must be warned according to the Word of God. So the meaning of the church. How many of you get the idea when we say church— There's something very significant, biblical, and special about a church. And God intends for us to treat it that way. Then let me quickly bring you to the second thought. We see the meaning of the word church. Notice, secondly, the ministry of the church. The ministry of the church. What is the ministry of the church? Let me give you a few thoughts. First, the church is to uphold the truth. Now turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. The Bible says... But if I tarry, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, the church is the ground of the truth, that is, the foundation of a superstructure. The reason why it grieves us when churches begin to wink at sin or not preach certain doctrines or never say that there's a hell or somehow try to accommodate people in their theology is because if the church doesn't have a strong foundation, if the, if the foundations fail, what will the righteous do? God has called the church to be the ground. And then notice also it says the pillar and the ground. The pillar is that which is upholding truth, uh, upholding that which is seen It is not the responsibility of a convention or a denomination or a camp or uh, some science group. It's not their fundamental responsibility to lift up the truth. It is the fundamental responsibility of the church to lift up the truth. And so we must uphold the truth. Secondly, the church has a ministry to glorify God. Glorify God. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Some of the things that we see in church today, some of the titles of sermon series that are that are X-rated, some of the things going on in the name of church, I want to sometimes ask the pastor: do you truly believe that glorifies God? Some of the things we see in parachurch organizations. Uh, Even some that are somewhat fundamental and they're giving credence to gay lifestyle and so forth and you see it. It's just a little here, just a little there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The church is to bring glory not to humanism, not to secularism, but to God alone. Unto Him be glory in the church. And there have been times in my ministry when maybe something wasn't just right, and I didn't feel like God received all the glory. We just pulled that from our repertoire. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Say, hey, I'm not perfect. Sometimes things might be wrong. And as a pastor, you're going to have to have that sensitivity, number one sensitivity, to the Holy Spirit of God. Not to what your friend down the street thinks. Not to what somebody on the Internet says. But is God pleased with what's happening in the church? Uphold the truth. The church, secondly, must glorify God. Thirdly, the church must... Must develop spiritual members. Acts eleven twenty three. 23, Paul said that he exhorted them that with purpose of heart, they would cleave to the Lord. They would cleave to the Lord. It was a blessing. Yesterday I went to the dentist and there were two or three people in there uh, that uh, d- before they saw me come in, I was kind of sitting in the corner and filling out some paperwork. Uh, they, were, they were telling how that they were new in our area and had started going to a church, Lancaster Baptist Church. And how it was such a great church, and how, how that they had been saved. And I mean, they were going on and on with it, telling the lady at the dentist there. Now, I'm not saying that this person was a perfect person, but how many of you understand it did my heart good to hear a member of our church in public talking about Jesus Christ? Amen. You know, one of the things you'll learn to do when assessing a church is look to the fruit of the church. You really will. Look to the fruit of the church. Does anybody go soul winning? Do any of the dads have a uh, uh, family altar? Do the people have any measure of separation in their life? Look to the fruit of the church. Letter D. The ministry of the church is to evangelize the world. To evangelize the world. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. The church must be evangelizing constantly uh, in Samaria, Judea, th- throughout the uttermost part of the earth. And, and I'm saying today that this is the ministry of the church. We see the meaning of the church. It's not some social club. It's God's institution. The ministry of the church. Let me give you a final thought here. The, the methods of the Church. Let's talk about that. Methods matter. And I want to mention a few biblical methods. First of all, for numerical growth. Everybody wants their church to grow. Everybody wants to see people added to the church. How's that going to be done? Well, let's look right here at Acts 20, shall we? Acts chapter 20, we read it just a moment ago. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everyone wants an easier way. I see some churches sometimes in uh, North and South Carolina and Texas, different places where there's lots of Baptists, and they have a lot of transfers, Tennessee, and, and and they call it church growth. And that is growth, but it's not necessarily this kind of growth. You ought to have a longing in your heart for souls being saved in the church. And how does that happen? Publicly and from house to house. Let's say it together. Publicly and from house to house. Getting out with the gospel. I remember visiting Ephesus many years ago, and it was kind of amazing. They had that forum area where you walk down this center street. At the end of the street was the Celsius Library, one of the uh, seven wonders of the world. A huge, giant building still after 2,000 years. years—and it was an amazing walk, but what really interested me was as we were walking down, on the left side was, was a hilly area, and they called it the Terraced Housing. And there was a group there from New Zealand, a group that was an archaeologist, and they had taken this probably 50-acre uh, site, and they had built up uh, uh, steel poles and a glassed roofing system over it so that uh, you would have natural light to still be able to see And when you went inside of these homes, some of them had amazing mosaics. I mean, tile mosaics that were unbelievable. They had running water from the spring up at the top of the hill. They had uh, an amazing uh, system to heat the water as well. And across the street, they had their uh, spa type of an area. And and, uh, these homes were obviously uh, very, very nice homes. But on the other side of the street, it was mostly rubble. These were homes that were uh, not restored. There was no archaeologist that was uh, building them back up. But you could see the thresholds going into these homes that I imagine might have been 10 by 10 in size or something of that nature. And some of those homes had the sign of the fish or even a cross uh, dating back to the first century where those folks would signify that they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I walked down that road, I could not help but think of this verse Publicly and from house to house. This is what I believe. I believe the Apostle Paul went to every kind of a house. I believe he went to the poor and the rich, don't you? I believe he wanted everybody to be saved. Years ago, there was a book that was written that talked about how you can uh, kind of uh, tailor your church for uh, the yuppies and how you can have music and programs that appeals to a certain uh, demographic, a certain type of people. Let me tell you something, friend. Your goal should be to reach every kind of people in that city publicly and from house to house, just asking God to give you souls. So for numerical growth, soul winning. Secondly, for financial growth, how does the church sustain itself? You say, I'm a church planner, I might try to raise some support. Your goal should be to work yourself out of that support as quickly as possible. Most churches will give you a year or two support, that's about it. Maybe three years if you're maybe in some place like San Francisco. I remember when I came here, Brother Getch, I had a few pastors tell me, We'll support you for nine months. If you don't have full support by nine months, you're not worth your salt. And uh, some of the old timers, they gave me nine months support to get this church up and running. Well, that was motivational, let me tell you. And I've seen some men that'll work nine months or a year or two years till the support is gone, and then they quit. And the fact of the matter is that you should have as your heartbeat to have the church self-supporting. How's that going to happen? You're going to win people. You're going to disciple people. You're going to teach them what the Bible says about giving. First Corinthians 16. And now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have received order of the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, such as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Men, let me tell you something. Don't be ashamed to preach on giving in the local New Testament church. Where your treasure is where your heart will be also. You can't preach on it every Sunday. You can preach on it maybe three or four weeks a year. Every Sunday you can read a verse about giving. You have got to establish that principle in the minds of the people. And don't think, well, these people can't give. These people have nothing. Listen, everybody has something to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we had a graduate that, that wrote this past week and he's trying to buy some property and we sent him several thousand dollars and we always try to respond, especially to our graduates that are church planting. We wanna have a part in their ministry Uh, But if he were to write me uh, two, three years into the thing, still needing support money, I'd encourage him, and I've done this many times, to go out soul winning, to go reach some people. And this is what God's plan is, that we would give uh, as God leads in our heart, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Listen, I don't have time to organize bingo games to raise money for the church. I did not want, look at, I did not want my wife, there's nothing wrong with this for a while, but I didn't want her working all the time to support me preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to see God raise up a church that would fulfill the work. Through tithes and offerings. For numerical growth, nothing replaces soul winning. Just being out talking to people, uh, telling people about the church, telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. For financial growth, preach what the Bible says on giving. For spiritual growth, never underestimate the importance of preaching the word of God, 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. Studying the Word of God as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, 1 Peter 2:2. And then serving the Lord Jesus Christ and getting people involved in serving and helping them uh, to be a part of this great work. You know, I think of some of our members, and, and I've had them come up to me over these days and say, you know, Pastor, I am so glad that I got to start tithing when we were down at Lancaster Boulevard. I'm so glad that I've been giving for 25 or 30 years. They say something like this, you know, I could have started investing in Apple way back then. If I would have put that much money in Apple, I'd have this many millions of dollars now, but I'm glad I have riches in heaven for the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, there's going to be some people, fellas, that come into your church, and they say amen, and they stay with you. You're going to have some that leave. You're going to have some that go woke. You're going to have some that that break your heart, but you're going to have some people that if you'll be faithful, they're going to watch their under-shepherd. And they're going to be faithful. And you're going to see something raised up to the glory of God over time that can be done only by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus can get a crowd for a week. Uh, A good evangelist can gather a crowd for a week or maybe a month. But the local New Testament church requires a pastor who stays and is faithful and he understands what the church is and he knows the ministry of the church uh, and he understands uh, the methodology of the church must come from the Word of God. And I want to challenge you to love the church. Ladies, let me say this. Do your very best, whether it's teaching children, singing special music, whether it's helping your husband someday, whatever role you have, be a faithful, godly person in the local New Testament church. You'll be glad you did. You'll be able to say at the end of your life, I'm so thankful that I invested in God's institution, the local New Testament church.